You're listening to the Handmade CEO Podcast. My name is Maria Lauren, small business owner and creative entrepreneur. Each week, we'll discover the steps and motivation that inspire our guests to create income from their skills. Get ready to start learning how to creatively pursue your dream job by crafting it yourself. Thank you for tuning in to episode 80. What does it take to be a good storyteller and how can this impact your business? Today's guest describes how he discovered his gift for storytelling and how he's helping business owners transform their message into one that resonates with their clients. I know you'll love Sean's tips for sharing your message with confidence. Hi, Sean. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I would love to start to get to know more about your background and what led you to becoming a professional speaker. Well, to be honest, it was a really circuitous route. So when I was six years old, my father passed away and my mom and my uncle were looking for outlets for me. And I had shown a passion for theater. So, you know, when you're young, they always put you in the Christmas plays or the school pageants or whatever. And I remember being cast as Joseph and it was just a little small thing. You don't say anything. You sit there in your bathrobe and (laughs) get the presents from the wise men. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was receiving the presents from said wise men at six years old on stage, getting the gifts of gold, frankincense, and more that were wrapped very nicely in uh, wrapping paper, because obviously that's very period. And (laughs) That's true. I never thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) And I would place these these delicate offerings to the baby Jesus directly on the cradle, which is where the doll was sitting and right on this poor doll's head. And uh, so obviously it was comical to (laughs) the audience and they laughed and then I would do it again and they would laugh and I would do it again and they would laugh for all three gifts. And I remember at that point being hooked. I absolutely loved the fact that I had the power to to move an audience, to make them laugh. And so just after that, because that would have been December, uh, my father passed away in February. And again, my mom and my uncle were were trying to find something for me. I didn't really outwardly grieve my father's death for a very long while. And I think there was a little bit of concern that I might have been repressing or, or something of that nature. And back in 1986, you didn't really take your kids to counseling or anything like that. Although we did get a little bit of grievance counseling through insurance, but it was really just more for mom than for us kids, my sister and I. And so my uncle figured, well, hey, I'm near this theater Calgary thing and I bump into the casting director often. Maybe I'll ask her how to get my nephew into theater because I had shown promise with it. And from that point on, I was a professional actor. So from six years on, I was on stage and started moving into film and television around 12 and 13. And I was a performer. And then when you do that for from six years old, when you get to be about 25, you've had a very tenured 20 year career in acting. And I decided to retire. I, I wanted to get a real job acting. Acting had always been fun, but at that point it had become laborious. It was a job and it had stopped being fun and had started being a chore. And so I decided to take all the mad movie star money that I had made 
and go back to university and get my engineering degree. And I specialized in geomatics, which is a fancy way of saying map making and surveying. And from there, I started a business with an incredible mentor and, and businesswoman who guided me in so many ways beyond just business and life in general. Um, incredibly creative, very artistic woman. And unfortunately, she passed away two years into our business venture. So I didn't get to continue doing that. But in the process of doing it, our primary client when you're surveying and map making is the government. And one of the requirements of working for the government is that you have a safety system. So I had to go and learn about how to develop and create a safety system. And I had this safety knowledge. And a friend of mine, another very accomplished businessman and himself, runs a very large electrical firm where I live. And he said, well, listen, I need a safety guy. If you take these extra courses here and I'll pay for them, you can go and instead of making mad movie star money or mad surveying money, you can go <laughs> make mad oil money. Oh, and I, I went, love it. Cool. Let's do that. So he, we upgraded my skill set, and I went and then I started my third career as a safety professional. And what I rapidly found in safety is that safety has very little to do with the actual systems and processes in place, but rather how you communicate effectively to the people who those systems are in place to protect. Because if they're not following them, and if they're not doing the things that are required of them, they're not working safe, and it is a detriment to everybody. And I started relying very heavily on my skill set that I learned through theater of this is how it literally started to perform for these toolbox meetings in the morning is what they called them. And it's just a, a basically a morning meeting, five, 10 minutes long, where you give a briefing of the day of what's going to go on and, and how to be safe. And I learned very rapidly that the less I talked, the more effective they were. <laughs> that when I oh, got wow. more people talking and, and communicating about how these things affected them, that it was they were more effective meetings and I could guide them through the power of story. So a lot of people were always fascinated by the fact that I was in film and television and that I had done stunts. And so what I would do is I would relate the day's activities back to things that we would do in the stunt world to be safe. And I said, well, when you're doing this, it's kind of like this time when I jumped out of a window. Well, I did that enough at enough toolbox meetings that um, some large general contractors heard me do it. And they said, hey, you know that, that thing you talk about, about jumping out of windows and how it relates to safety systems? Would you mind coming and doing that at our annual conference or our AGM or at our safety stand down day or our week? And I said, of course. And they're like, how much would you charge for that? And in my head, I'm going, are you kidding? I do this for free every day. But mm -hmm. I just kind of stumbled out. I was like, $5,000. And they paid. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so then I started doing the, the speaking and slowly and slowly and slowly uh, over the last six years, the safety side, I've, I run my own safety consulting company, but I'm very hands off on it now. I, I do very, very little within the company. I have a great team and staff that do a lot of the work themselves. And I myself run around the country when we could. And would give these keynote presentations. And now, most recently, a lot of people asked, well, how do you do that? And I said, well, I don't know. So I ended up writing a book about it. And, and now I train people how to be more effective communicators. Wow. That is such an amazing journey. I feel like you've lived like 10 lifetimes already. <laughs> I, I feel like I've lived 10 lifetimes. It's funny often because I'm, I'm only 42 and I look very young because I've been in film. And so I've moisturized daily for <laughs> a very long time. So I probably look about 25, 30, I'm told. And uh, so when people hear all of that stuff, they go, you're, you're too young to have done all of these things. 
That's hilarious. But it sounds to me like your ability to listen well is giving you all the clues that you need as to where to go next. I mean, and it seems like an incredible gift that you were put into acting and then somebody, you know, helps you get through these classes that eventually led to your speaking. That is so well, incredible. And there, there is, there is some incredible grace in everything that has happened in my life. And if you break it down, a lot of the curves and trajectory changes in my life have occurred often by from death or from collapse of an event. And a lot of people can get really focused on the negative side of that. But if I hadn't had those events, I certainly wouldn't be on the trajectory that I am today. And I love where I am today. It's exciting every day that I get to to wake up and work with my clients. I get to have wonderful conversations like the one that you and I are having right now to be able to do what I do and make a living. And um, my wife is a, is a very, very prominent project manager for a large construction firm here. And we can compete quite regularly on who's going to earn more this year. <laughs> and uh, to be able to, you know, be on par and sometimes best her, <laughs> just speaking, like, that's all I do. She's like, I don't get why you get paid. And I said, I don't get why I get paid either. I just show up. She's like, you just show up and you just talk. I'm like, yep, it's pretty much my job. That's awesome. But you know, I think what you do is give people hope that you are in a, I mean, you started in a super duper niched business. There, I'm sure there was not a ton of people doing these safety talks, which is why when you do it well, and interestingly, I think that becomes so appealing. So it gives people hope, I think, to hear your story and to think, wow, like you really can and should probably niche down as much as possible. Well, and so when I was working with Bo Eason, it's one of the things that he taught me and I, I've taken to heart for a long, long while. And that is the more specific you can get in your story, the more detailed, the more personal you can make the story, the more universal it speaks to people. Because it's easier for me to project into your story if you're telling it from your eyes and giving me the specific details. And when I have detail, I can then sympathize with you and I can empathize with you. And that's the real key to communicating is to be able to get somebody to step into your shoes and see the world from your eyes. And if you don't get detailed, if you don't get niche, if you don't drill down to that and you just try to generically whitewash some of the stuff, it becomes homogenous and nobody listens. Well, how did you discover that you had a passion for storytelling? It's one thing I feel to be an actor and to enjoy, you know, the maybe the attention that you're getting, but it's another thing to be able to develop that skill and talent of storytelling. Well, I, I mean, I've always been a storyteller. I think I was gifted in the fact that I grew up in the arts. I went to a fine arts high school. So the creative side was always nurtured. But when I really found that I had the, a gift for storytelling or when I when the passion really ignited was honestly with the birth of my daughter. When my wife was pregnant, and it drove her insane, by the way, because my wife is... You know, there's there's some women who look forward to pregnancy, childbirth. It's it's their thing. They they love motherhood. Right. My yes. wife is not that person. My wife <laughs> is a hardcore <laughs> careerist, and uh, and pregnancy was an uncomfortable inconvenience for her. And we love our daughter to pieces. And I'm I'm very passionate about uh, communication. So I wanted, you know, I've read all the studies. I I was that dad who was like, no, if we if we read to the fetus while she's in utero, she's going to she's going to have this percent percentage higher brain capacity. And if we play classical music to her, she will hear it through the womb and she will recognize my voice and, and we will have this connection and this bond. And my wife was like, you're not reading to my belly. 
<laughs> so uh, I wanted to be able to to do that and to talk to her. And so for 10 months, or I guess nine from the time we found out, I would tell stories to my daughter and basically to my wife, because I'm sure my daughter wasn't totally listening, but I would tell her the stories of my day. And we would just, we would read stories to her, small little chapter stories. And what's interesting is now that she's born, my daughter will be six this summer. She loves to read. She loves stories and she is so creative. So whether or not that helped, I will never know. But I would like to think that I encouraged that seed very early. Yes, you did. Yeah. (laughs) And now, you know, and her, she tells stories. I mean, most five-year-olds do, but hers are, hers are amazing. And I I love to record them and we we write them down, but listening to her inspires me the more I can, t- the more that she, she communicates through story. She, I see her world through her eyes, through the stories that she tells. And okay. it's really impactful to me to see that as somebody who claims to be a professional communicator, I, I get to relive all of these lessons that I in- inherently know and that I've learned over 35 years of public speaking, but I get to see them in action developing from a five-year-old's perspective. And it is fascinating and awe-inspiring. Yeah, that seems like such a huge gift. And if you're able to experience it you know, on the receiving end, then I think as a storyteller, you should also feel like you're providing a gift to somebody by telling telling your story. So I think that's something we need to all take to heart. Well, and it is. And and I think the biggest thing that if I could give one piece of advice to your audience, it's that your story matters. I remember speaking at a conference in Invermere, British Columbia. It was called Life by Design. And a good friend of mine, Jared Morrison, was invited to speak there as well. And I went on and presented my talk just before him. And he was the the keynote. He was the closing presentation. And he does this talk called The 10-Minute Time Machine. And if you ever get a chance, if you can, if I don't know if there's copies of it out there on YouTube or anything like that, but if you ever get a chance to hear it, anyone in your audience, I strongly, strongly encourage you. Jared Morrison, The 10-Minute Time Machine. And in it, he talks about the darkest moment of his life. And Jared has all of his life struggled with addiction uh, to the point where it uh, disrupted and ended his marriage. He lost his job because of it. Now, I know for a fact that he has, I believe, coming up six years sober now. And I don't want to tell his story incorrectly. It might only be five, but I feel like six is is close to the correct answer. But he talks about with his struggle with addiction also came a very large struggle with depression to the point where he was constantly planning on taking his life. And his his biggest goal was to do it in a way that was accidental enough that his life insurance policy would still pay out to his ex-wife to uh, cover his kids. And that was his goal for years. And this 10-minute time machine talks about the day where he was almost successful. And unfortunately, it happened while his kids were by complete random circumstances in his care. For a year and a half, they, they weren't allowed to be at his house. But his ex-wife... I needed a break and they were at some event and somehow he had talked her into allowing the kids to be there. And then once they had gone to bed, he started to drink and and consume the narcotics that uh, were his pills of choice and forgot that the children were there and decided that that night was going to be the night and, and he got the combination right. And his kids ended up finding him and phoning 911. And that is the one thing that saved his life. And the reason I tell you this story is because one of the things that I talk about in my teachings when I'm doing my seminars is that the thing you're most afraid to say is very likely the thing that your audience needs to hear. Now, it is a hard thing for Jared to talk about. 
out because he, you know, it was at a, for a time there, pretty scarring, pretty damaging for his kids. But I'm happy to say that he has one of the best relationships that he's ever been in in his life. He is with an incredible and amazing woman. His kids and him have the strongest relationship they've ever had in their life because he was able to see the grace in the moment. He was given the gift of life and he was he was able to have an awakening of why life mattered because his kids mattered to him. He remembers very lucidly as he is being rushed to the hospital and going in and out of consciousness Think and while he was on the couch thinking, please, please don't get it right this time. This is not the time. I can't, I can't die in front of my kids. That was the only thought that kept him alive. When he told this story life by design. And this is why I want your audience to hear this. It was very hard for him at that time because it was very raw. It was still fairly recent within two or three years. And he sells life insurance. <laughs> so, oh. you know, come buy the life insurance from the guy who wanted to kill himself. So it's a bit of a, of, of a professional struggle for him. He is a little bit of a, a dichotomy for him to present this information. But when he presented it, there was a woman who was in the audience who had come because she had got the ticket for free and had decided she had the whole plan laid out. She was going to come to Life by Design just to support her friend who had gotten her the ticket. It was a Saturday and Sunday event. And on Monday, she was going to walk into the woods with a rifle that she had already selected and loaded and was going to kill herself. But then Jared told his story. And she said, no, not today. And then she came back and told that story. And there were three people in the audience with similar plans and desires. And they were able to reach out to her and say, I need help. And so by Jared finding the courage and the strength to say the thing that he was the most afraid to say, he was then able to impact one other person who then had the courage to come up a year later and say the thing that she was afraid to say that then saved three. And it becomes this ripple effect. When we expose ourselves like that, we we bring humanity to us. As humans, we want to protect. We're not really that divisive. And when we can be raw and real and open up and share stories and universalize our experience together by getting detailed and specific, that's when we can make real impacting and lasting change. That's such a powerful story. I could see how being that vulnerable and that honest would, I mean, in a room full of a lot of people, I'm sure you're not the only one struggling or having these thoughts. So to be able to put yourself out there, it's so selfless. You're giving such an important part of yourself to help others. The story was so powerful. Well, and another really important lesson that I learned working with Les Brown, he always said, that you never make a point without a story and you never tell a story without a point. And one of Jared's greatest gifts is that I I met Jared um, at the fine arts high school that I went to. He was in performing arts as well. He was at Theater Calgary and and did a lot of professional theater along with me. And uh, a phenomenal actor, by the way, far, far more talented than I am. (laughs) And one of his, the greatest assets that he had when uh, developing this story and when presenting this talk and why it's so masterful is that it's not depressing. Like it sounds depressing, but he weaves humor into it so amazingly well. And he, he makes you laugh while you're crying. He makes you cry while you're laughing, but he, he has a point to it. So he walks you through that journey of where he was, specifically what he was doing, the alcohol and the drugs that he would mix. Uh, you get details like he the only thing that he could eat was Rice Krispie Squares and Slurpees because that was that was what his stomach could digest when he was taking the, the rest of the substances that he was on. And it's wow. those details 
when you get them that really put you into his position so that you can be sitting there on the couch with him as his kids rush to him. And and that's what I would encourage your listeners to do is that you all have a story. What The thing that you're afraid to say is likely the thing that your audience needs to hear. And, and finding the way to tell that story impactfully is, is you giving your gift to the world. Yes, for sure. Well, in your opinion, how does a small business owner weave that into their business? There's people that are selling products or some people are service providers. Is there a place and a time for that? Or, or is it just a different way of storytelling? I think some stories are so powerful, but probably not going to hit home if you're maybe selling products. So actually, I think stories when you're selling products are the most important. Okay. I remember working with uh, a lady. I used to run a meetup group called Perfector Pitch. And we would have small business owners come and they would give their elevator pitch. They were given anywhere from two to five minutes to explain what the product is and, and give the pitch. ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers for a reason. With ShipStation, you can print all of your labels from one place. If you're like me, you're probably selling on more than one platform. ShipStation seamlessly integrates all of your sales into one place, so all you need to do is print your labels. Get a 30-day free trial when you click on the link in the show notes. ShipStation. Make a ship happen. And this lady sold um, like cosmetic creams that you super moisturizing cosmetic creams and she would come in and she would tell you all the benefits of it you know that they weren't animal tested that they were used with only natural ingredients and did you know that other ones use things that are classified as detergents and they're bad for your skin they actually dry it out and she would just tell you all of the things right the stats behind the product and one of the things that i learned early on i've heard a thousand different speaker trainers say it from brian tracy to les brown to adam markell they all say stats tell stories sell. And so I said to her, I said, well, why is this important to you? And she said, well, because I had severe eczema when I was a child. And and as I grew up, I was teased and I was bugged because my skin was always cracked and flaked and, and bleeding and it, and it hurt and it was painful. And then I found this cream and it was a miracle. And then my nephew was diagnosed with cancer. And as part of his chemo treatments, it dried out his skin. It, it was hard for him and, and he had all of these issues. And so this cream actually helped him get through his chemo. And I said, that's what you tell people. I said, stop trying to make this product for everyone. You tell your story about the eczema, you get eczema people, you tell your story about your, your nephew with the cancer and you will find that niche. Now, everybody in that room, as soon as she started talking about it, was like, well, now I want the product. Right, of right? course. <laughs> I don't have eczema, but I want this thing that made somebody with severe eczema feel better. Like now I want it because she universalized the message of the benefits of this cream by getting very specific with her struggle and how it hurt, how her self-esteem was improved and therefore her life was improved. Like all of those things come, but, but it was finding the why. So when you're trying to tell a powerful story, again, never tell a story without a point, never make a point without a story. Usually the point is your why. And I've learned about discovering your why a couple different ways. And one of them is actually through my safety consulting. So as a safety mm -hmm. consultant, we have to do root cause analysis whenever there's an incident. And one of the methods we use is called the five whys. Now, I love the method because it, it really drills down to a core of an issue. I don't like the name of the method because it implies that you only ask five whys and then you're done. And the reality mm -hmm. is you could ask 20, 30, 40. So what I call it is the McKenzie principle. McKenzie, being my five-year-old daughter, what does she yeah. ask me every day? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? 
Why? And when does she stop? <laughs> Never, probably. Never. Exactly. <laughs> she doesn't stop until her curiosity is fully satiated and then she finds a new thing to start asking me why about. And that's what I would encourage your listeners to do because we all, have, so if particularly our small businesses, somebody got into that small business for a reason. The majority of my clients right now, my private coaching clients, the ones that I work one-on-one with tend to be female centric charities and they come to me to help express their message a little bit better. Usually they um, have this great desire to help. They want to have this positive social impact, but they don't know how to tell people what they do so that they can help the people that need the help and tell the people what they do so that they can find the funding so that they continue to help the people that they help. So it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. They usually can't get the funding and they can't find the people that they want to help. And oftentimes it's the first question that I ask is, why are you doing this? Oh, well, I I want to help these people. Okay, but why? Well, because when I was younger, I experienced this. Okay, but why is that important to you? Right? And we start drilling down. One of my favorite clients that I've worked with, Aditi Loveridge, runs a center for infants and pregnancy loss. And she runs it because she herself has experienced both miscarriage and very early term loss of, of a child. And that, I mean, that hurts. As a woman, you, as a man, I sympathize with her. As a woman, obviously, it's it's even more so. And she was really struggling until she got until we worked together. And I said, "Look, just tell your story. Walk us through what it was like. What what the feelings you had. How how that impacted you. And what help you wished you had." And by telling her story, she was able to very rapidly grow her center. They've moved a couple of times because they've needed more space because of the outreach that they're able to do. Because they're able to support those women in a very very needing time, very dark time where it's really hard to ask for help. And that was one of the things that she talked about in her story was how hard it was for her to ask for help. And then when she had the strength to do it, how little help was out there and how she knew she needed to change that. And that's impactful. Can we go into that a little bit? And the services that you offer? Oh, absolutely. I have a, a whole myriad. I, I, I've talked about this a couple of times because again, as a speaker trainer, one of the first things people ask when they really want to be a professional speaker is, you know, how do I price myself? And, you know, and what content do I provide and what should I share and what shouldn't I share? And I, I always say, give everything, give everything for free. And the higher the price tag, the more one-on-one access people have to you for that knowledge. And so I have everything. I mean, I've got the, the Facebook page. If anybody wants to know more about what I do, all they need to do is go to seantylerfoley.com and it's spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. But what I I primarily do is when I can, I I prefer to work one-on-one with my clients to help them craft a powerful story, to delve deep into their why, why it matters, challenge them to be brave enough to share the thing that they're afraid to say. And then we find a way to make that an impactful story and overcome what they think is a fear of public speaking and is actually a deep-rooted fear of judgment. And we really work on overcoming that and letting them step into their authority, making sure that they know that their story matters, that it needs to be shared and making it the most impactful presentation that they can. And we we coach them, whether it's one-on-one with my private coaching or on through the virtual courses that I've created, or even just through the book that has been published. All of these are, are ways and methods that I have to, to help people. It's really just a matter of access at that point. The lower the price tag, the less access, the higher the price tag, the more access you have to me. All my private clients have my personal email and my cell phone and a policy that they can reach me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which is very frustrating sometimes because I have clients all over the world. So wow. every <laughs> once in a while when Dr. Vanda phones me from Dubai, I'm right. like, what time is it where you are? She 
goes, well, what time is it where you are? I'm like, oh, it's very, very early in the morning or late at night, depending on which one you want to look at. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, every story that you've told has been super impactful and powerful. So I would imagine that if we could make that mental shift from feeling that fear that you're talking about of being judged and knowing that our story can be both impactful and powerful, I think more people would be willing to share a little bit more. Well, and I think that it, it is the secret. It's the secret sauce to everything is understanding that you're actually not afraid of public speaking. You're afraid of public judgment. And as soon as you can be brave, and here's the great thing, and I want I want all of your listeners to imagine this right now. Think of a time where you were at a presentation where somebody said something where that was just soul revealing, where they opened up their insides, the soft, gushy bits, and they were completely and totally vulnerable. Now, as an audience member, when they did that, was your gut instinct to instantly attack them on their soft, gushy bits and poke holes at it? Or was your instinct to love on them, to give them love and support and cry and sympathize with them and laugh with them and be a part of that journey with them? Which was your reaction? Yeah. I guarantee you it was the latter and not the former. And yet mm -hmm. we're all so afraid that if we go up and we be vulnerable, that we're going to be attacked. And it's just not the case. Look at all the TikTok memes that make the, the big headlines, right? When people go out and, and you see these women who are embracing their figures because women embrace your figures. You are beautiful. No man alive is seeing what you're seeing. When you look in a mirror, we see how beautiful you are. And you see those TikToks, right? Where they roll down the pants and then they jiggle. Nobody attacks that. We're like, yeah, right. you do that. Be there because you're being honest and you're saying, look, this is, this is my biggest fear is that you're going to judge me. And what ends up happening is everybody shares it a thousand times and it goes viral for you being so brave. So true. That does take a lot of of courage, but I feel like it's so much better to let everybody else know, hey, you know what? Not everyone has, you know, maybe a six pack or is walking around the way that they want, but you have to at some point decide you're going to be comfortable in your own skin. One of the biggest things that I talk about in my books and in my training is that authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. If you want to be a truly authentic speaker or you just want to be a truly authentic human being, never mind if you're going to step up on stage, you want to be authentic, you need to know who you are and you need to be comfortable with who you are. I know what I am. I know what I'm not. And I know what I'm striving for. And I know where I've been. But knowing where I am right now is the most important and key factor to me being the authentic person when I show up. That when... Because we have an innate BS meter. As human beings, you would know, even even on, on this as an audio-only recording, you can't see my face, you can't see my eyes, you can't see my expressions, but you can hear in my voice that when I'm saying these things, they are true, they're honest, that I believe them to my core. And if I didn't, your audience would hear. They would know. I agree. You're right. There's always something. It just takes that half a second for you to realize something seemed off about that. So yeah, I, I do think authenticity is so important, but it feels kind of scary to step into that sometimes. Well, and it can be. It can be terrifying, but like I said, one of the fastest ways to overcome it is know that A, your audience is on your side. And it doesn't matter how big your audience is. Your audience may be an audience of one. It may be your spouse, your partner, your lover, whoever. Maybe your child, you know, when you're trying to communicate with, with a child or a parent. It could be a boardroom or it could be where I have the freedom and the luxury to be to a large auditorium. But it doesn't matter the size of the audience. What matters is your willingness to own your authority. And remember, nobody knows your story better than you. And that's one of the real powers of telling your own story and interweaving that into your presentation, because nobody knows you better than you. Nobody knows what you've been through, how you felt, how you've overcome. And so if you want to start, and particularly our small business women who, who are wondering, maybe they're wondering, who's my 
client? You know, who, how do I even figure out who I am? Well, look at yourself five years ago. What did you overcome to be where you are now? What lessons did you need to learn? And start speaking to you five years ago and see how quickly you attract clients very quickly, very rapidly, very naturally. That makes a lot of sense. If your story is something that you're so familiar with, it shouldn't be that difficult to share it. But maybe the other part of it too is having the practice of doing it over and over because at first, maybe it doesn't come out as right as <laughs> maybe it doesn't come out as well as you would like it to. And so I imagine it's just a matter of practicing the delivery at that point because your story is so intimate to who you are that really that shouldn't be the hurdle. And and I would I would say that that is definitely part of it. And it's not necessarily practicing the story so much as the repetition of getting up and telling your story. I would t- I tell my story. I mean, I'm on probably two or three podcasts a day, TV, radio, I get interviewed for print a lot. And when this happens, I tell my story or I tell part of my story. I mean, I've got 30 stories that I can interweave into any given conversation. And I never tell it the same way because it's a natural and organic thing. But I'm very practiced in the stories that I tell. I know when I tell them, why I tell them, because I know what the points that I'm trying to make with them. So I would get um, scripted with my story because that's when people start to feel false. Right? right. When we lock ourselves into the words that we have to say rather than just speak from your heart, but practicing the art of actually giving that talk, flexing that muscle and working it out so that it becomes second nature. So that when somebody says, oh, tell me what you do, you go, oh, well, this is what I do. And you wrap your story into it because the more you can be out and practice and deliver that rapidly, the more comfortable you become presenting that information over and over and over again. It's it's like anything else. If I want to have the six-pack abs, I can't sit on the couch and watch an exercise video. Yeah, I can have all the knowledge up in my head and I can have all the want and the desire in my heart. But if I don't take action towards that step, I'm going to never have the abs. I actually have to get up and do a sit-up, you know? And the yes. more repetitions you do, the more you start to hone those muscles until you're like, hey, look, check me out. I could go fight in the <laughs> MMA. I love this analogy. For some reason, there are some things in life that make sense. Like if you want to see results, you go to the gym more often. But maybe public speaking or being comfortable with speaking just never seemed like one of the things that would be equal to that, you know, where you would just have to practice it. And over time, you're just going to get better. So that's a beautiful analogy. (laughs) It's a skill set like anything else. And don't be afraid to fail with it too. Like the first time I went to the gym, I mean, I don't... uh, if you could see, I don't go to the gym. Okay. I want to be really clear to your, to your audience right now. I am not a gym type. I am not a laborer. I'm what they call skinny fat. I mean, I'm comfortable with me, so I don't mind, but I, I mean, I don't go to the gym, but the few times that I have, it's obvious that I don't go to a gym because I don't know how to use the equipment. I, I exercise poorly <laughs> and, but you know, that's how I've learned that I do it poorly because I, I go to, when I do go to the gym, there's guys that are there or girls that are there that are training me and they go, Oh no, this is how you do a push up properly. And then I do it and I'm like, Oh wow, I can actually feel the difference of that. Or this is how you do a curl up properly. Or this is how you bench properly. Here's, here's how you do a deadlift properly. And and then you learn how to do it and you, you look gangly and awkward and you can't really lift a lot of weight. And then slowly over time, your form gets better and your muscles get stronger and you can add more weight to the bar or you can do more repetitions of the chin-ups or you can do more push-ups and your form gets better and you start to see those results. But at first you don't see anything. Like I could go to the gym for the next six weeks and I'm, I'm not going to look like 
Chris Pine, right? Right. Yeah. Like it's just it's just not going to happen. I, I I won't have this amazing physique. But if I kept doing it for the next two years, I bet you when I did the before and after picture, it would be quite consequential. Right. And so that's the same thing with the public speaking, right? You may not feel comfortable. You know, your audience may go out right now and find every networking event that they could go to and start practicing their pitch. And they might, well, it'll be hard. It'll be difficult right now, but maybe try practice on Zoom meetings, right? Right. Yes. And. And they may do it for six weeks and be like, no, I'm still terrified. Well, yeah, but you've only been doing it six weeks. Exactly. Forcing yourself into the discipline of finding those opportunities. The next time that somebody needs somebody to present at work, raise your hand and keep seeking those opportunities because the more you do it, the more you exercise that muscle, the stronger it's going to get. The more practiced you will get in telling your story and finding the nuance of it and finding the point within it. Remember, never tell the story without a point. Never make a point Mm -hmm. without a story. I think a lot of times we quit on ourselves a little too early. You know, if you just stay with being uncomfortable a little bit longer, I think you'll discover that, you know what, it wasn't that horrible and you've made improvements. The greatest feeling that I have is when I, at the end of my talk, you know, I absolutely love when I can get a standing ovation. I live for it. I (laughs) crave it. I cherish it. And I always appreciate it because especially this day and age, I never know when the next one's going to come. And so I every opportunity that I have to embrace it. I I absolutely love. I was just going to ask where we can connect with you. And then also I wanted to know if you could tell us a little bit about your book. I absolutely. How about I tell you both in one sentence? Sure. So uh, (laughs) again, the fastest and easiest way to connect with me is through the website, seantylerfoley.com. And all my information is there, including how to get pre-sales of the book or to order your own copy. And the book is really takes 35 years of my public speaking experience and distills it down into very actionable steps so that anybody can feel comfortable presenting. And it's it's not a manifesto. It's not a big training piece for people to become the next six or seven figure public speaker. It's not what it's designed to do. It is designed for the person who is afraid to speak up and doesn't want to take on that presentation in the boardroom or is running a small business and, and is shy or nervous going to networking events or doesn't know how to utilize their story in the most effective way. That's who the book is for. The book takes you through explaining why you don't need to be afraid of public speaking, how to network more effectively, some of the tips and tricks that you can use to feel more confident and more comfortable on stage. And on stage does not mean up on a platform in front of an auditorium. I mean, anytime you're standing in front of a podium or in a boardroom or at a table, or even just having a conversation one-on-one with a spouse or a loved one. Anytime that you are needing to present information that is important to you, how do you do it in a more comfortable manner, in a more confident manner, and in a more concise manner. And that is what the book covers. Wow, that sounds awesome. Well, thank you, Sean. Thank you so much for all your time. This was absolutely amazing. Oh, it was an absolute joy and pleasure, Maria. And anytime, if your audience needs anything, feel free to reach out to me. I, I, I'm here to serve and I just want to make sure that they get the most out of it. Well, there you have it, my friend. Another inspirational CEO transforming the way we do business. I love how a simple story can teach, encourage, or inspire the listener. When spoken from the heart, your experiences can reach your audience in a way that facts and numbers just can't. 
I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy learning more from Sean, so be sure to connect with Sean by visiting his site and don't forget to pre-order his book, The Power to Speak Naked. I'll have the links for you in the show notes. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Handmade CEO podcast. Don't forget to check the show notes to get a glimpse of today's featured guest and special offers. If you love the show, leave a review and share this episode with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. Now it's your turn to start handcrafting your dream job. 